most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, November 17th, 2023, the 1,031st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So this week we've been talking about the regime in a state of panic. It seems like the illegitimate Biden administration is in free fall and the Democrats and the mainstream media, the Uniparty, are prepared to allow that to happen so long as there might be a suitable replacement and they're trying to find one of those. In six months, if nothing changes, we could know with near certainty that Joe Biden and Donald Trump will be the candidates representing the two major political parties in what we're told will be a real election next fall. And alongside them, we may have a whole slew of third party candidates. There's no reason there should only be one. Maybe we'll have 10 and they'll all get their own little voting blocks. Perhaps they'll try to convince us that there is a major never Trump vote out there. Despite the fact that we can see clear examples in public, near constant examples in public of how if there is a never Trump vote out there, it's small and dwindling. It exists mostly on mainstream media and in very wealthy, very detached circles of standard issue villagers and really not anywhere else. Every day, more people understand that life was better under Donald Trump, Donald Trump was a better leader for this country. And as more people understand that we were better off under Donald Trump, more people admit that we were better off under Donald Trump. And that allows more people to admit it, which causes more people to understand. Things are moving only in one direction, across a bunch of subjects, one of those being Donald Trump. And things are going to continue moving in that direction until virtually everyone is there. And some people may not make it. That's just a fact of life. And it's too bad. But it's not like they haven't had eight years 
to rethink things, to consider that maybe they might be wrong about things they really know nothing about. And so there are a couple levels of panic right now. We started the week with the series finale of The Circus, where two middle-aged gay men, Mark McKinnon and Tim Miller, and two middle-aged liberal women, John Heilman and Jennifer Palmieri, talked about how scared they were at the return of Donald Trump, the possibility that Trump could win. That's the current state of liberalism, that detached, wealthy sort of party of false decorum liberalism, where they're all trying to say the right and cool thing that is socially acceptable to everyone and no one can argue with it or else you get to call them a racist or a sexist or a homophobe. That kind of party of false decorum liberalism. They're all understanding that the people on their side went a little too far. And maybe some of the people in control on their side didn't quite get the job done all the way. So they understand that there's going to be some backlash. They think Donald Trump might come on back. They thought that they were done with Donald Trump forever at the end of 2020. And here we are at the end of 2023, and not only are they realizing they're not done with him and have never been done with him, they're realizing it's going to be a good five years more. And that, for them, is a major freakout. And they are trying to tell themselves, no, it's okay. We understand how important this fight is, and we're going to stick it out. We didn't want to have to do this with Donald Trump again, but our nation needs us. So we are going to misunderstand things online as loud as we can. They don't really understand what's happening. They think that everything is normal. They have not adjusted their mindset at all in the last eight and a half years since Donald Trump came down the escalator in the midst of of at least two of the greatest concurrent crises in American history. And during this awakening that is happening all around them, including with people who are very close to them, most likely, they still have not considered even once that they might be wrong about things they know nothing about. And again, it's not like they won't admit they know nothing about these things. If you ask them a couple of questions, they will run out of answers, get upset, and then either leave or start telling you how awful you are. Many of them will simply admit that they know a little bit, but not that much. Oh, you've had so much time to study it. Well, I have all these important things to do. Thank you very much. That's why I allow myself the time and the space and the freedom to be constantly wrong about very important subjects while helping to implement all the solutions in the wrong ways I support. Ah, yes. Thank you, Kami, for being so much more important than me. I totally understand now why you didn't have time to learn any of the things you constantly express having such strong principles about. Those people think they're going to pay attention to the polls and then they're going to go out and vote and then they will get a result and they will hear that Donald Trump won in a close election and the result is a bit in doubt. There's going to have to be some review. Maybe they'll even challenge it. But they're coping now with the possibility that Trump will win because Trump is more popular than Joe Biden. 
They spent years supporting an old, demented, corrupt pervert and pretending that's what the other guy was. They thought they were getting rid of Trump for good and that anything, anything in the world would be worth supporting if they could get rid of Trump for good. And it just didn't work out. So they're going to get more Trump, but they're going to stand there and fight. Some of these communists have gotten to the point where that seems like a possible future for them. But those are the uniparty left and often uniparty right standard issue villagers. They think everything's normal. Joe Biden got 81 million real lawful American votes. He's serving out his presidency. Yeah, people had their doubts, but it's still all legitimate. What's done is done. Nothing can be done about it. All the other world leaders believe Joe Biden's a real president. Everything is as normal. We're going to have a normal election cycle. We're going to have a normal election. And then Donald Trump might win. And we're just going to have to keep on fighting. But we're going to have our money. Everything's going to be okay. The system's going to remain the same. We're all good. Now, those people are detached from reality. I actually pity people who think about the world and only incorporate whatever facts and conclusions you might draw from the obviously false idea that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes and is a legitimate president. If you understand that that can't possibly be true, then you have to look elsewhere to see what might be. And because that is such a major fact about such a major issue, if you spend no time considering the implications of that, you're going to miss out on a lot of things. And that's where standard issue villagers have kept themselves so that they can maintain the respect of their high status, but very low intelligence, very low integrity peers. But not everybody on that side is like the hosts of the circus who live their whole lives to project an image. Like Mark McKinnon, that little gay man who's always dressed in Yellowstone chic attire with his little cowboy hats and his little leather gloves so he can sip champagne on a rooftop balcony. There are people who actually have to do real things and make real decisions. And so they're not thinking of how upsetting it might be at dinner parties or at the yoga studio, if Donald Trump is the president again, they're thinking about the balance of power in the world and what is going to happen with global currencies and how all of them are going to be held accountable. And that is panic of a whole different variety because that level of panic needs to project that panic in a certain way. They need to project their panic as a stern warning that reaffirms they're always in control because they need all of their supporters in the party of false decorum in the uniparty to understand they are going to be in a state of emergency for the foreseeable future. They need to do and say whatever they are told to do and say whenever they are asked to do and say it. And they need to put everything into making sure Everybody everywhere knows what needs to be done. Now, they're not going to do what needs to be done all the time, but they are going to tell everybody else that they must do what needs to be done in order to get the more powerful people what they want. That's how it works in the party of false decorum. 
And that's exactly the dynamic we saw develop during COVID. Now, when they have everybody on the same page, that strategy usually works. It works pretty well. But when everybody's not on the same page, that strategy breaks down pretty quickly. And that's what we are seeing right now. The panic from up above goes out as a very stern warning that lets everyone know, don't worry, we're still in control. We've got this. Everything's going to be fine. But as far as you guys go, you all should worry a lot and get your asses in gear because when we call on you, we're going to need you at your best. You need to work your hardest. You need to tell everyone out there what we need them to know. So please spread our message, spread our panic, tell the people what needs to be done. Get everybody back on the same page. And that's what they have to do, because that's the only way that any of this could change course. As I said, all of these different issues, all these different parts of our society, everything is headed in the same direction. And Trump is only one small piece of that. But that through line is reaching its conclusion. The country is being presented with all the non-Trump options and all of those non-Trump options look ridiculous, ridiculous. Ron DeSantis has been turned into a picture of ridiculousness. This was supposed to be the GOP's next rising star. He was supposed to be a serious candidate. He has all of the con Inc support, all the media, all the influencers this week. One of his biggest media supporters, Mark Levin was outed as having a stepson who works on a Jewish pro-Israel outreach program for Ron DeSantis's gubernatorial re-election campaign and presidential campaign, according to reports in Semaphore. They write earlier this week, Levin sat down for a friendly telephone interview with the Florida governor. Over the course of 15 minutes, Levin praised DeSantis's gubernatorial record, contrasting it with former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley's and reminded DeSantis that he should direct people to his 2024 presidential campaign website for signups and donations. Ah, Mark Levin's helping him advertise. They write, but at no point in the conversation did he mention that his stepson, David Milstein, works for DeSantis. Now, if Ron DeSantis is a kayfabe op, if he is a pro-Trump red team op, congratulations to him. But whether it's an op or not, he has absolutely accomplished our goal for him, which is exposing all of the uniparty right, the media, the influencers, the donors, the other politicians. He's done it all. What an amazing job by Ron in exposing all of those people who were in hiding. So the real serious candidate is gone. And then anyone who would have formerly looked serious, like Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, Tim Scott, none of those people were taken seriously at all. They're trying to make a Nikki Haley thing happen right now. And she's getting some numbers in some polls, but no one is going to choose Nikki Haley over Donald Trump. It's not going to happen. Joe Biden. Nope. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., he's got some fine qualities, but nope. Gavin Newsom, no. Gretchen Whitmer, no. Michelle Obama, no. None of these figures are more popular than Donald Trump, and we haven't even started in on most any of them. 
Do any of those people really want to be thoroughly vetted in public? There's no movement out there in America to draft Joe Manchin or Mitt Romney or Liz Cheney. And even just getting to this stage means that they have basically had to out themselves on their willingness to rig and steal primaries in the Democrat Party, not like they haven't seen it before. But I can't imagine that Bernie Democrats, who are now Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Democrats, are just going to let it go. RFK Jr. had to leave the Democrat Party. And you got to think he's going to be taking a lot of Democrats with him. But all the anti-Trump options are far less popular than Donald Trump. It doesn't matter how many polls they run asking the question, do you want some other option than Joe Biden and Donald Trump? And everybody says, yes. Oh, they just want to move on from this period. It'll go back to normal. Yeah. None of you have to admit that Donald Trump was the right solution all along. You don't have to admit you were wrong. Everyone's just going to let things change. You're going to skate. You're going to fly under the radar and no one will know. That's what people want. I understand, but you're not going to get it. And honestly, is that really what you want? Come on out and admit it. You're going to feel better afterwards. There's no way to move forward trying to pretend that you were right the whole time. Isn't it time adults of the country to admit that Donald Trump is not your problem? You are. And it's not like I'm asking too much. I did it. Tons of people I know have done it. We were wrong. It's okay to say it. We got tricked by the television to believe that Donald Trump was a bad guy and a stupid guy who didn't know what he was doing and had no talents. They fooled us. It's cool. We were wrong. But the best thing to do once you realize you're wrong is to A, stop being wrong, and then B, figure out what bad things might have happened as a result of you being wrong and try to, you know, correct some of those bad things if you can. Really connect with the redeemable communist in all of us. So these communists are exercising their coping mechanisms right now. They're in the bargaining phase of their grief where they're saying, okay, well, maybe we can allow Donald Trump to be president again for a little while, but that's okay. We'll get through it. We've been through it before. It can't be that bad. And hey, commie, good luck. I hope you're right. I mean, you've been wrong before, but I'm sure you're right. Everything's normal. Going to be a normal election. You might not win it, but I'm sure everything will be okay. Maybe you'll get the House or the Senate. No one's ever going to find out about those stolen elections. Everything's going to keep chugging right along. But some of the people on a higher global level have begun to freak out in entirely different ways about much more important things, the sorts of things that are going to touch everyone's life even more than the feelings that John Heilman might have when his group of women's hip hop aficionados meets. Today, the editors of one of the global regime's major propaganda mouthpieces, The Economist, ran a headline saying Donald Trump poses the biggest danger to the world in 2024. The subheadline reads what his victory in America's election would mean. A shadow looms over the world. In this week's edition, we publish the world ahead. 
our 38th annual predictive guide to the coming year. And in all that time, no single person has ever eclipsed our analysis as much as Donald Trump eclipses 2024. Don't know what that means. That a Trump victory next November is a coin toss probability is beginning to sink in. Ah, it's a little better than that, commies. Mr. Trump dominates the Republican primary. Several polls have him ahead of President Joe Biden in swing states. In one for The New York Times, 59% of voters trusted him on the economy, compared with just 37% for Mr. Biden. In the primaries, at least, civil lawsuits and criminal prosecutions have only strengthened Mr. Trump. For decades, Democrats have relied on support among black and Hispanic voters, but a meaningful number are abandoning the party. In the next 12 months, a stumble by either candidate could determine the race and thus upend the world. Now, first off, Donald Trump basically cannot even possibly make quote unquote stumbles at this point. He is already responsive to the opinions of awake Americans who are attached to reality and getting involved and making their voices heard, and to the set of people who are still asleep and totally detached from reality and enraged in Trump hate, the people who have tried to make everything Donald Trump does represent a stumble, have lost their audience. No one takes them seriously anymore. Think of the last time there was a Trump does this terrible thing story that actually landed and actually mattered and actually changed people's opinions of Donald Trump for the- I mean when was the last time that happened was it 2015 and I'm not trying to exaggerate when I'm saying that but a lot of people's opinions were formed at that point and have improved since there's probably not that many people who had better opinions of Donald Trump way back then than they have now. There are some people who claim that some people who claim that they're leaving the Republican Party because of Donald Trump or someone out there whose whole identity is being a Trump guy until the very violent insurrection or until his claims of election fraud. This is what those Ron DeSantis supporters who were never Trump originally and then totally on board with Trump and now never Trump again. That's what they say. Oh, it was Donald Trump who changed our opinions with his behavior, the things he said, the things he did. But on a wide scale, what would be the last time where there was a story that actually shifted Americans away from Donald Trump? I might even grant you the very violent insurrection, but the boomerang on that has already occurred. So on a long enough timeline, even the very violent insurrection didn't hurt Donald Trump. It ultimately helped Donald Trump. I don't know when the last time was that a story genuinely hurt the public's impression of Donald Trump. And so when we're talking about a stumble that could destroy their chances, giving the race to the other person upending the world, give me a break. That's not going to happen to Donald Trump. It's not even possible. It's not going to happen to Donald Trump. And then on the flip side, Joe Biden literally stumbles constantly. Just yesterday, he had another one of those moments where he couldn't find his way off stage. He puts his hand out like he's going to shake someone's hand, and then he just directs himself around like a robot, unable to find where the stairs are. But let's continue with The Economist. This is a perilous moment for a man like Trump to be back knocking on the door of the Oval Office. 
Democracy is in trouble at home. Mr. Trump's claim to have won the election in 2020 was more than a lie. It was a cynical bet that he could manipulate and intimidate his compatriots, and it has worked. America also faces growing hostility abroad, challenged by Russia in Ukraine, by Iran and its allied militias in the Middle East. No, no, that's not actually happening. And by China across the Taiwan Strait and in the South China Sea. Also, that is not happening. Russia did not challenge America in Ukraine. Iran is not with its allies challenging America in the Middle East, and China is not challenging America in Taiwan. Why is the global propaganda media trying to convince us that these foreign countries are challenging us? Well, that's because from the global regime's perspective, all of these countries are challenging their strongholds, and we are all supposed to be providing defense for all of that. That is the project our indentured servitude should be put toward. Those three countries loosely coordinate their efforts and share a vision of a new international order in which might is right and autocrats are secure. Now, there's nothing about a multipolar world order that means might is right. And of course, that's an inversion. The might is right principle is actually exemplified in the UN, where if they can just corral enough corrupt leaders of other countries around the world, if they have infiltrated enough governments and brought them into the fold, then they get to have their way all the time, no matter what. That is absolutely might is right. All of the other countries who aren't on board with that agenda get the short end of that stick each and every time. These globalists are insane. And regardless of any of this, this world order has already emerged. It's hilarious also that they say they loosely coordinate their efforts. What that is in reality is acting toward the same goal whenever goals align. That's the most normal relationship to ever have with anyone anywhere for all time. Because MAGA Republicans have been planning his second term for months, Trump too would be more organized than Trump one. True believers would occupy the most important positions. Mr. Trump would be unbound in his pursuit of retribution, economic protectionism, and theatrically extravagant deals. <laughs> what, what is that going to be? I mean, all of this is advertising for more Trump, and I love it, but I've never heard about these theatrically extravagant deals. If Trump is capable of theatrically extravagant deals, I am all for that. I will take as many of those as he is happy to provide. No wonder the prospect of a second Trump term fills the world's parliaments and boardrooms with despair. <laughs> but despair is not a plan. It is past time to impose order on anxiety. Well, okay, Reichsfuhrer, let me hear all about it. The greatest threat Mr. Trump poses is to his own country. Having won back power because of his election denial in 2020, he would surely be affirmed in his gut feeling that only losers allow themselves to be bound by the norms, customs, and self-sacrifice that make a nation. In pursuing his enemies, Mr. Trump will wage war on any institution that stands in his way, including the court's 
and the Department of Justice. Now, this is ridiculous. Donald Trump has been filling the courts with constitutionalists and originalists when he can at that. So that is actually wonderful. That's doing the right thing by the courts. And the Department of Justice is an executive branch agency. That is actually Trump's purview as president. Also, the idea that the Department of Justice is somehow independent or could be independent or has ever been independent is ridiculous. And if we're all going to admit that, well, then what we want Donald Trump to do is flush out the Department of Justice. All of this is a fantastic advertisement for Trump's third term. Yet a Trump victory next year would also have a profound effect abroad. China and its friends would rejoice over the evidence that American democracy is dysfunctional. If Mr. Trump trampled due process and civil rights in the United States, his diplomats could not proclaim them abroad. <laughs> Thank goodness we're not facing that situation right now. Thank goodness countries like China and Russia and Brazil and South Africa, all the BRICS nations and plenty more nations. Thank goodness they would never look at the United States and the regime currently in place and say, well, those people have no right to tell us about human rights and civil rights and tell us about elections and tell us what we have to do. They don't follow their own purported principles about any of that. And of course, all of those countries have not only the right to think that about us, they have an absolute justification to think that about us. And of course, they do think that about us. These propagandists always portray the global regime as simultaneously the most powerful, intelligent, smart, expert, competent, well-organized group of people and nations that has ever existed in the history of the world, operating superbly the best system that has ever been created in the world, and also constantly the victims and targets of great oppressors who are actually holding them back from making the world perfect. Joe Biden is in reality an illegitimate communist dictator and a corrupt career political criminal who is violating every right the citizens of the United States of America have under the Constitution and doing it publicly while being praised for doing it. And we're supposed to believe that Donald Trump is going to come back and start violating people's rights by weaponizing the Justice Department against them, for instance. The Global South would be confirmed in its suspicion that American appeals to do what is right are just an exercise in hypocrisy. America would become just another big power. Mr. Trump's protectionist instincts would be unbound, too. In his first term, the economy thrived despite his China tariffs. <laughs> his plans for a second term would be more damaging. He and his lieutenants are contemplating a universal 10% levy on imports, more than three times the level today. Even if the Senate reigns him in, protectionism justified by an expansive view of national security would increase prices for Americans. Mr. Trump also fired up the economy in his first term by cutting taxes and handing out COVID-19 payments. 
This time, America is running budget deficits on a scale only seen in war and the cost of servicing debt is higher. Tax cuts would feed inflation, not growth. So the people who are wrong about everything are being wrong about the economy right now in yet another attempt to fearmonger over Donald Trump. Everything is going to be destroyed if Donald Trump becomes president again. Well, they've already said all this stuff. And after they said all that, and after Donald Trump became president, all sorts of things got so much better, except for them. Are we really supposed to believe the world is going to end because of price increases in foreign manufactured goods when the entire point is that we restore the American economy and American manufacturing so that we're not actually dependent on adversarial powers who, for instance, employ slave labor? Their freak out is the understanding that globalism has failed and that the global regime's power that they have built up over many decades through infiltration, through corruption, and through compromise is being stripped away and dismantled. Are we really supposed to pretend that the editors of The Economist are looking out for the American consumer and tax cuts are going to feed inflation? Well, okay. Abroad, Mr. Trump's first term was better than expected. His administration provided weapons to Ukraine, pursued a peace deal between Israel, the UAE and Bahrain and scared European countries into raising their defense spending. America's policy towards China became more hawkish. If you squint, another transactional presidency could bring some benefits. Mr. Trump's indifference to human rights might make the Saudi government more biddable once the Gaza war is over and strengthen relations with Narendra Modi's government in India. Well, that's very interesting. But a second term would be different because the world has changed. There is nothing wrong in countries being transactional. They are bound to put their own interests first. However, Mr. Trump's lust for a deal and his sense of America's interests are unconstrained by reality and unanchored by values. And to be fair to The Economist, What's clear here is that there are two different sets of values in opposition and only one can be chosen. Now, Donald Trump doesn't share the values of The Economist, and neither do I, and I doubt that any of my listeners do either. So the truth is, in this situation, it's unsurprising for The Economist to describe Mr. Trump and his supporters as lacking value because we would describe them that way as well. And so one of the groups, it's either us or them, lacks values. Now, which one is it? I would suggest it's the one that told children to wear masks, knowing that the masks don't work for a disease that can't kill them. I think I'm just going to stick with the values of Mr. Trump and the reality where a disease with a lower infection fatality rate than an average flu is not actually a global pandemic. Mr. Trump judges that for America to spend blood and treasure in Europe is a bad deal. He has therefore threatened to end the Ukraine war in a day and to wreck NATO, perhaps by reneging on America's commitment to treat an attack on one country as an attack on all. 
And what in the world are they talking about? Who is going to attack a NATO country? Are they planning on attacking one of the NATO countries and then blaming it on Russia and saying Donald Trump didn't respect the NATO treaty? Oh, we have to impeach Donald Trump. It's like they're previewing a storyline. I could absolutely see them attempting that. In the Middle East, Mr. Trump is likely to back Israel without reserve, however much that stirs up conflict in the region. In Asia, he may be open to doing a deal with China's president, Xi Jinping, to abandon Taiwan because he cannot see why America would go to war with a nuclear-armed superpower to benefit a tiny island. Well, hey, the economist, it sounds like you're really catching on. But knowing that America would abandon Europe, Mr. Putin would have an incentive to fight on in Ukraine and to pick off former Soviet countries such as Moldova or the Baltic states. Without American pressure, Israel is unlikely to generate an internal consensus for peace talks with the Palestinians. Calculating that Mr. Trump does not stand by his allies, Japan and South Korea could acquire nuclear weapons. By asserting that America has no global responsibility to help deal with climate change, Mr. Trump would crush efforts to slow it. And he is surrounded by China hawks who believe confrontation is the only way to preserve American dominance. Caught between a deal-making president and his warmongering officials, China could easily miscalculate over Taiwan with catastrophic consequences. Oh, well, like what? And how would he miscalculate? Could you imagine writing all of this? This is basically science fiction. This is futuristic, geopolitical, dystopian thriller science fiction. They are trying to figure out all the ways that the world might be ruined by it becoming different than they want in totally normal ways. And then declaring to all the standard issue villagers out there that if they aren't absolutely horrified by all of this, then they're not smart. And if they don't tell everyone else about how horrifying all of this is, then they might be cast out of the party of false decorum completely. Here's how they wrap it up in The Economist. A second Trump term would be a watershed in the way the first was not. Victory would confirm his most destructive instincts about power. His plans would encounter less resistance. And because America will have voted him in while knowing the worst, its moral authority would decline. The election will be decided by tens of thousands of voters in just a handful of states. In 2024, the fate of the world will depend on their ballots. Donald Trump the end of the world, unless voters in those swing states can generate enough ballots. Everyone is supposed to be totally horrified of that. Everyone is supposed to understand that if Donald Trump comes back in for a second term, that is immediately Nazi Germany in America. It's not, by the way, Nazi Germany in America back when all of those American corporations were actually helping Nazi Germany. One of which, by the way, is IBM, who is reported to have pulled its advertising budget from X, formerly Twitter, because Elon Musk retweeted a post that some people are calling anti-Semitic. That's IBM. 
back when all those companies were helping out the actual Nazis during World War II, that was not Nazi America. And when that Prussian regime shipped a bunch of Nazis all around the world, including to America, and they were brought into our major institutions like NASA, and people said, don't worry, it's because they're scientists. That was not Nazi America. And when our business leaders and politicians travel to Davos to kiss the ring of Klaus Schwab, that is also not Nazi America. Donald Trump being legitimately elected by a populist movement, an overwhelming majority of Americans, that's Nazi America. I mean, sure, the fake president, Joe Biden, and his administration, and both halves of the Uniparty, have supported literally everything the Nazis have done, the modern age version of it, including supporting actual Nazis in Ukraine. But Donald Trump becoming the duly elected president again, or at least publicly recognized as such, that would be Nazi America. And naturally, all of this is especially funny from people who say you're not supposed to call anyone else a Nazi unless it's really, really, really justified. And they do it all the time and say it's always justified. But again, they're wrong about everything. So they're panicking about high level stuff. They're panicking about low level stuff. They can't sell their narratives. No one believes them. The man they all supported by lying about the 2020 election, Joe Biden, is embarrassing each and every one of them every day, and they have pretty much no way out. And today we have another reason for mass panic around Washington, D.C. and beyond. This is from the Epoch Times reposted in Zero Hedge. First two January 6th appeals reach Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court has set a conference for December 1st on whether to accept two key January 6th case appeals, one involving a federal agent who carried his firearm at the U.S. Capitol and the other on the Department of Justice's controversial use of evidence tampering law to prosecute January 6th defendants for felony obstruction of Congress. If either or both of the petitions are accepted, it will be the first time a January 6th related case is reviewed by the Supreme Court. On November 14th, the court listed both cases as distributed for conference on December 1st. Defense attorney Marina Medvin, who is involved in both cases, said it should be clear by December 4th if the court will issue orders, accept or reject the petitions for review or hold the cases over for another conference. The first case, Edward Jacob Lang, petitioner versus United States, could impact hundreds of defendants accused of the most frequently charged January 6th felony, corruptly obstructing an official proceeding, which carries a potential 20-year prison term, has been charged in 317 cases, according to the latest DOJ tally, dozens of January 6th defendants have already been convicted under the law, which has never been used in such a way since it was implemented in 2002 as a means to curb corporate financial fraud. The other case involves the prosecution of a former DEA agent for carrying his service pistol and credentials onto Capitol grounds on January 6th. So both of these cases are interesting in their own right, but they're also interesting based on how they will affect other people charged with these crimes. And that is 
not the only J6 news today. There's actual big news today because Speaker of the House Mike Johnson has released all of the January 6th video, or so we are told, on a government website, CHA.house.gov. That's the Committee on House Administration. And at a quick glance, it looks like it has about 15 hours of camera footage from a hundred different cameras approximately around the Capitol. And so we will see what people find. I don't know if this is actually all of it. I'm sure we will find out, but I imagine that we can anticipate a slew of J6 footage stories, a bunch of viral video moments, a bunch of stories about how legacy social media platforms are censoring some of this J6 footage and eventually a complete relinquishing of this entire narrative. Now, again, there's always going to be people who believe that they were right the whole time. And despite any new evidence can continue to prove that they were still right the whole time about something everyone else knew to be wrong since the very beginning. I'm not saying that each and every person out there is going to accept the truth that January 6th is nothing like they were shown on TV, but I imagine it could get to the point where anyone pretending that the original J6 story is still valid is going to look foolish in public. They can go online and argue about it all day, but they're not going to be in a crowd of normal people and strangers talking about how Trump supporters are very dangerous because of the insurrection. I imagine we're going to have all sorts of new videos that will absolutely obliterate all the narratives we've been fed for the last nearly three years now. Consider what's been done to Americans, the way people who actually attended January 6th have been treated. And then for everybody else, the censorship, the violations of privacy, the weaponization of law enforcement and the justice system. All of that was premised on a lie, and it was premised on a lie supported by some very wealthy and powerful public figures. At some point, the American public is going to hold these people accountable when it comes to their reputation, having been the ones primarily responsible for the messaging that turns neighbor against neighbor and family member against family member and friend versus friend. It's an absolute moral disgrace what happened in this country as a result of the very violent insurrection hoax. And this is the sort of thing where you should not feel bad for rubbing their noses in it. But how about some more regime panic? This week, the Wall Street Journal ran an article with the headline, It's time to end magical thinking about Russia's defeat. As Russian President Vladimir Putin looks toward the second anniversary of his all-out assault on Ukraine, his self-confidence is hard to miss. A much-anticipated Ukrainian counteroffensive has not achieved the breakthrough that would give Kiev a strong hand to negotiate. Tumult in the Middle East dominates the headlines, and bipartisan support for Ukraine in the U.S. has been upended by polarization and dysfunction in Congress, not to mention the pro-Putin leanings of Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump. Putin has reason to believe that time is on his side. At the front line, there are no indications that Russia is losing what has become a war of attrition. Russian economy has been buffeted, but it is not in tatters. 
Putin's hold on power was paradoxically strengthened following Yevgeny Prigozhin's failed rebellion in June. Oh, yeah, that real thing that definitely happened. Popular support for the war remains solid and elite backing for Putin has not fractured. Western officials' promises of reinvigorating their own defense industries have collided with bureaucratic and supply chain bottlenecks. Whoops. Meanwhile, sanctions and export controls have impeded Putin's war effort far less than expected. Russian defense factories are ramping up their output, and Soviet legacy factories are outperforming Western factories when it comes to much-needed items like artillery shells. The technocrats responsible for running the Russian economy have proven themselves to be resilient, adaptable, and resourceful. Elevated oil prices, driven in part by close cooperation with Saudi Arabia, are refilling state coffers. Ukraine, by contrast, depends heavily on infusions of Western cash. Putin can also look at his foreign policy record with satisfaction. His investments in key relationships have paid off. China and India have provided an important backstop for the Russian economy by ramping up imports of Russian oil and other commodities. Instead of fretting about lost markets in Western Europe or Beijing's reluctance to flout U.S. and EU sanctions, Putin has decided that it's more advantageous in the short term simply to become China's junior partner in the economic realm. Goods from China account for nearly 50% of Russian imports, and Russia's top energy companies are now hooked on selling to China. The article is quite long and it goes on. I'll share the last paragraph. The U.S. and its allies need to be clear about the long-term nature of this undertaking. The war's end, whenever that happens, is unlikely to quell the confrontation between Russia and the rest of Europe. Ukrainians and their friends rightfully want to see the rise of a prosperous, independent Ukraine that is secure and fully integrated into the political and economic life of the continent. Putin and his successors would see that as Russia's ultimate defeat. They will do everything in their power to prevent it. So basically, Russia is dominating in every imaginable way, not just on the battlefield, not just in the economy, not just in foreign affairs. They're doing just fine on all fronts, and Putin has no threats at home. The global regime's effort in Ukraine failed spectacularly. Joe Biden did not unite the allies. They did not defeat Russia. They did not preserve the sovereign borders of Ukraine, nor did they preserve the corrupt global proxy state and hub of money laundering and all kinds of trafficking as they intended. It was a complete and total failure. And it's not like they lost by a little bit in overtime. There was never any chance. They also lost the PR battle spectacularly. They're losing the kinetic side and they're losing the informational side. All of the public support for Ukraine did not end up actually supporting Ukraine and making a positive difference. It may have extended things, meaning that it was even worse for them, but it certainly exposed the entire thing. And now people are picking up the similarities and the parallels between Ukraine and the situation in Israel right now and eventually the situation in Taiwan. Now, I've been talking about all of this for two years, and the Wall Street Journal just started talking about all of this in these terms this week. So standard issue villagers out there on the uniparty right and the uniparty left who had their little 
Ukraine flag emojis on their profiles. They had their little Ukraine flag lapel pins. They might have hung a Ukraine flag off their house. All those people are just finding out right now that it wasn't worth it. Supporting those Nazi battalions and covering up for that comedic actor in Ukraine, putting your whole identity behind all that, eh, it wasn't worth it. And it's got to suck to realize that, especially if you're already five or six weeks into doing it again. But hey, commies, it'll probably work this time. I mean, it has to, right? So the panic is coming in from up high and it's coming from political influencers. And all of this is having a real effect in the world. People are beginning to realize, holy shit, we got some things wrong. I actually had a formerly close friend this week text me after having cut off all contact in 2020. Text me, you were right. And then he texted me, the neocons never left. Now, I'm a little bit worried that he's still a communist and thinks that somehow neocon philosophy opposes communism in some way when it is really just also communism. So I'm not sure that he has reached the necessary revelation yet, but it's good when someone who was that extreme and that destructive a few years ago has come around to realize, whoops, maybe I read a few things kind of wrong back then. I mean, just missing completely the presence of the global regime is kind of a big mistake. And it's not like it's a unique one. I missed it for most of my life. We are brainwashed to miss it. We are encouraged to miss it. We are incentivized to miss it. We are punished if we actually notice it. So it's not hard to miss it, but it really is important to see it and to understand what it means that it's there. And let's close down this week of panic with a little bit of media panic and celebrity panic, because there's no one whose panic is more enjoyable to listen to than media figures and celebrities. Let's just be honest. Here is ABC News's Jonathan Carl on with Stephen Colbert to discuss his new book, Tired of Winning, Donald Trump, and the End of the Grand Old Party. He's such a loser, and he spreads, you know, losing like a contagion. Yes. And, and he's got 91, you know, felony counts uh, against him yep. now. And, and I know, like, this is a bit of a mystery. You didn't know there'd be another book here. Yep. But what do you attribute the continued relevance of Donald Trump to? Like, why do you think he's such a lasting grip on a party that had many opportunities to end the specter of him, whether it had been either impeachment or just if Kevin McCarthy hadn't gone down there and kissed the ring. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that. First of all, it's important to remember, less than a year ago, he was trailing Ron DeSantis in polls, in one Wall Street Journal poll in December, by 20 points or so. It was flipped just a year yes. ago. Yes, so, so it, it wasn't a total... But, but I think part of what's happened is people look back, there's, there's anxiety in the country, uh, people have economic anxiety, there's discontent with Joe Biden, and I think there's some superficially a sense of like, uh, look, if we can only go back to four years ago, the world was relatively at peace, inflation was low, everything was, was, I think there's some of that. And that's why I wrote this book, because if people are going to go into this next election thinking about that, they also need to be thinking not just about what Trump was, but what he is now and what he is proposing and planning to do, what a second Trump administration would look like. And I don't think people have come to terms with that at all. 
Jonathan Carl is on the Trump is the next Hitler. Trump supporters are all Nazis train. He's in that bargaining stage of freak out where he's like, it'll be okay as long as we just convince everybody that these are the Nazis and look at all this Nazi stuff that they're doing. Surely we'll be able to convince everyone that Donald Trump is is Hitler. I mean, yeah, we've been saying it for eight years, but it's got to take some time, right? How are the book sales going communist? Have you sold four books? Have you sold five books? It can't be much more than that, can it? Here is former Saturday Night Live comedian Leslie Jones while hosting The Daily Show. The Daily Show has no host right now, so they're basically giving it to all of the unfunny woke women for a week at a time, I think. She's speaking here to MSNBC's pollster guy, Steve Kornacki, and it's worth remembering that Leslie Jones was in that awful Ghostbusters remake and Milo Yiannopoulos was banned from Twitter for making fun of her. That was back when censorship and cancel culture were just a glint in George Soros's eye. Biden um, is losing to Trump. Should we be freaked out right now? I mean, so there's New York Times polls that came out last week, the six states we think will decide the election in 2024. And yeah, they had Trump ahead in five of those six states. They're all states that Trump had lost in, in 2020. So the thing that's interesting to me is if you look back at the 2020 election from this point, fall of 2019 on to Election Day, mm -hmm. there was literally not a single poll that ever had Trump ahead of Biden nationally. Oh. Um, we've now had multiple polls that show wow. Trump ahead of Biden. Really? So th th there is a different atmosphere around this looming and we'll see what happens in the primaries but this is looking likely to be the matchup again and trump is showing a strength or biden is showing a weakness that wasn't there the last time in the run-up to the election so I, I i think i take it i would take it very seriously yeah i honestly cannot imagine what it would be like to be one of the communists who still watches these shows like just want something on to watch as they kind of wind down for the day and get sleepy to go off to bed. And all of their heroes, the people who they think are smart and funny and cool, are consistently telling them, yeah, uh, Trump's going to win. We've all been telling you for eight years that we're going to destroy this guy and we're going to get rid of him forever. And we've even told you that we did get rid of him forever. But nope, he's still here. And all of you are going to have to deal with this man for another five years. I mean, at least, you know, if we get through five years and Trump is just still chugging along, why not just go for another one? And I'm not being totally serious here. I hope that someone else emerges an heir apparent, if you will, to Donald Trump, or maybe politics in America just changes completely. But it is the sort of thing that will make liberals heads explode. If you tell them that Donald Trump is going to win a third term in 2024 and then a fourth term in 2028, that would make them absolutely lose their minds. And it's really enjoyable. Honestly, you should try it. Now, one other clip before we get to the grand finale. By the way, my friend Josh Lacache posted all of these in a thread today on Twitter. It's J O S H L E K A C H. He also has a great show called Wrong Opinion and occasionally hosts on InfoWars. But this is the disgraced former Fox News host, Chris Wallace, talking to 
Charlemagne the God, the man you will remember as the black radio host to whom Joe Biden said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. You think of Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump is a fascist who does not care about democracy in any way, shape or form. So you think it would be dangerous for the country if he were to get back in the White I House? Think, I, think that is, I think that's an understatement. You know, and I think that's also the, the pickle that we as, as American people are in, right? I think that it's three options in 2024. You have Donald Trump, who's the criminal. You have uh, Joe Biden, who represents the cowards. Cause I think the Democratic Party are cowards. They don't fight enough. And you got the couch. And I think, you know, the couch is voter apathy. And I think a lot of people are going to choose uh, to, to, to stay home in 2024. And that, that, should, that should scare us. And how about that framing? Well, there's Donald Trump, who we've told you is extremely, extremely, extremely racist. He's actually a fascist now. Don't ask Charlemagne to define fascist. And then you've got Joe Biden, who is a coward. That's the problem. Joe Biden and his leftist allies don't fight hard enough. So they haven't earned the support of Charlemagne, the God's audience. They're all just going to embrace apathy and stay home. Charlemagne is telling them that even though this option that we keep giving you is terrible beyond imagination. And not only is he terrible, but he was actually mentored in politics for 30 years by a Klansman. Charlemagne always leaves that part out. Despite all of that, you still have to go out and vote for him because, you know, Donald Trump is a fascist. These people are so dumb and everybody has to pretend they're smart. It's just comical at this point. Imagine having to go out there and say all of that to Chris Wallace. How big is the market currently of people who take this stuff seriously? I feel like it just can't be that big anymore. And now, as I promised, the greatest revelation of this wonderful panic week is the actor and comedian Michael Rappaport, who has absolutely lost his mind over Donald Trump for years, one of the most angry and hateful people imaginable online just records videos of himself melting down about Donald Trump all the time. He's like a straight Keith Olbermann. Here he is filming himself freaking out as he comes to terms with the fact that Donald Trump really might be the best choice, even for hateful angry retards like Michael Rappaport. By the way, there is some swearing, some foul language in here in case you got the kids around and hat tip to my friend. The storm has arrived 17 for watching the whole Rappaport video and then editing these small clips together. Been other things too. There's been other things too. There's other times where I'm sure like, I don't for Dick Stain, Donald Trump, who I had conversations with, I might vote for that motherfucker. Oh, yeah, I'll break the fucking, oh, yeah, I'll break your hearts. Let me tell you something. Things don't get straightened up in this fucking world ASAP. And I know Smoking Joe has said the right thing about Israel. But when I'm seeing motherfuckers in New York City climb in public in front of crowds of people, rip down UN flags, rip down Israeli flags, Rip down American flags on Veterans Day. When the economy is the way the economy is, when I'm paying 
fucking mortgage rates up the wonk up. I mean, I'm getting, forget a, forget a colonoscopy. You don't need to get a colonoscopy. Go, uh, go buy a house. The interest rates, go buy a car. And I know Smoking Joe has done some things for the, I know. But I'm telling you right now, go, go buy yourself, go, go, check, go check what it's like to buy a car, buy a house. The money, the fucking chaos in this country, the chaos around the world. But I'm too far down the Kringle Mandingo. I'm too far down the disruptive warrior rabbit hole to pull back now. The comments have been made, I said. I've had conversations with some of my... If it comes down to pig dick Donald Trump, and smoking Joe Biden, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Voting for pig dick Donald Trump is on the table. I'm sorry. I'm fucking so I'll still call him slob dick Donald Trump, pig dick Donald Trump, and all that. But we need to get this whole fucking situation under control. Now, you might think, I don't care about Michael Rappaport. I don't care about actors and comedians. I don't care what these people say. Even if they're coming around and saying the right things, it doesn't matter. Well, okay, it doesn't matter to you, but it does matter to all those people who've watched Michael Rappaport for the last three years because he's able to give them their two minutes of hate, that Orwellian idea, each and every day. Michael Rappaport gets on there and screams about how much he hates Donald Trump. And now he's out there saying, man, things have gotten so bad that I actually might want Donald Trump back. That's not some small deal. And for every one of these people who's coming out and saying it in public, you can assume that there's 10, 50, 100 more of them in private who haven't gone out and started saying it yet because they are still concerned about the incentives and punishments within the party of false decorum. But regardless, the fever is breaking and people are coming to their senses. You're going to see that divide. Some of them want to announce, hey, guys, I'm a uh, redeemable communist. I don't know what happened, but please uh, help me. I'm trying to get out. And then the rest of them are just going to double down. And those people are going to absolutely lose it because it was one thing where all of the crazy maggots and QAnons and science deniers and vaccine deniers and racists and homophobes and all of that, blah, blah, blah. It was one thing when they were saying all the no-no words and they were supporting Donald Trump and they were on the wrong side. Even when they were friends and family members and people at work, some of these people destroyed very important relationships in their lives because they couldn't be around anyone saying the no-no words. And they have continued down that course for years now. But it's not just the maggots and the QAnons and the science deniers anymore. It's the people on their own side. It's some of the heavily vaccinated at this point who are figuring out it was all wrong. Imagine being one of those people who's still melting down, realizing, oh, Everyone else is on that side now. That's the phase we're entering. And that's what explains all of this panic. These people are losing their minds. Big things seem to be happening, but don't take my word for it. See if it reflects in your own life. It's ultimately up for you to decide. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. 
Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!